Israel had come to make him king. Where Jeroboam, Nebat's son, heard the news, he returned from Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. The people sent and called for Jeroboam, who along with the entire Israelite assembly went and said to Rehoboam, your father made our workload very hard for us. If you will lessen the demands your father made for us and lighten the heavy workload he demanded from us, then we will serve you. He answered them, come back in three days. So the people left. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive. What do you advise? Rehoboam asked. How should I respond to these people? If you will be a servant to these people by answering them and speaking good words today, they replied, then they will be your servants forever. But Rehoboam ignored the advice the elders gave him and instead sought the counsel of the young advisors who had grown up with him and now served him. What do you advise? He asked them. How should we respond to these people who have said to me, lighten the workload your father demanded of us? The young people who had grown up with him said to him, this people said to you, your father made our workload heavy, lighten it for us. Now this is what you should say to them. My baby finger is thicker than my father's entire waist. So if my father made your workload heavy, I'll make it even heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with scorpions. Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam on the third day, just as the king had specified, when he said, come back to me in three days. The king then answered the people harshly. He ignored the elders' advice and instead followed the young people's advice. He said, my father made your workload heavy, but I'll make it even heavier. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll do it with scorpions. Words of God for the people of God. Oh, man, we love the pick-me-ups of the Bible. <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Stephen Poor. And when it comes to hard decisions, do we send our child to school one or school two? Do I take job one or job two? Decisions can be hard to make sometimes, can't they? Because they carry massive implications. Some of you have a partner um, that refuses to order food at a restaurant until they know what you're going to order. I don't know why, but that's just kind of the way it happens sometimes, at least in my family. And so I'll wait patiently for Devin to first order and decide what she wants, so I won't be jealous, of course, of her food. When I was a child, we lived uh, just a half mile away from a 7-Eleven. And my mom, this was back when you could buy a candy bar for a dollar, used to give me a dollar bill and we would walk to the 7-Eleven with our friends. And I remember always kind of waiting for them to decide what they were going to get before I decided what I would get. Because the game here was to maximize the dollar, to get as much candy as you could possibly get with one dollar. So what I did, and I was really smart about this, is I would go to the nickel aisle where all the, had like all the tiny mini candy bars, and I would just start like racking up a bunch of the tiny stuff and it always made them so jealous to watch me just gorge myself as if it were Halloween. But here's what is difficult about adulting is that we are faced with decisions all the time, aren't we? And decisions are hard and when we don't listen to the right voices like the uh, King Rehoboam in our text today, it can have major implications on our life, but not just our life, our livelihood as well. 
That's because we make our decisions, and oftentimes our decisions have a way of making us. Have you ever thought about that? What we decide about our future often determines the life that we, in fact, lead. ABC has a show based off of decisions. It's called Batch Nation. <laughs> the Bachelor and Bachelorette. Drew loves it. He watches it every week. And I really, I love that about him. It's a show where a single man or a single woman um, get to choose one person out of about 25 or 30 beautiful, smart, capable humans. And don't you just feel terrible for these people? But it makes um, for really riveting television. We love when other people make decisions in their adult life. But when it comes to our time of decision making, we often agonize for hours over the details. So who do you go to? Who do you go to when you're faced with 25 or 30 beautiful bachelors or bachelorettes? Who do you go to in your life? I want to give you some context to our scripture reading today. Where we left off with Drew, the Israelites wanted a king. They had just entered uh, the land of Canaan. And they were like, give us a king. Give us taxes. We want them. Give us wars. Fight on our behalf. Fight on our behalf. Give us power like the other nations. Give us everything we want, God. This is what we want. We want a king. So David becomes king. And then Solomon secedes David and is known for his wisdom. But later in his life, observe, he used his power. He used his gold. He used his influence, his riches, to exploit and enslave Solomon's own people, the Israelites. His yoke became heavy, as the text said. And as a result, God gets angry at Solomon. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You are supposed to be a light unto the nations. And through being a light unto the nations, the work should be light for your people. So God gets angry and rips the kingdom away from Solomon after his death. Uh, and so gives it thereafter to Rehoboam and Jeroboam. One of his sons, Rehoboam, is the king of the southern kingdom. Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom. Our text picks up and he's told by the people, Rehoboam is told by the people that they want a lighter yoke than what King Solomon offered. In other words, they want less taxes. They want less wars. They don't want the government exploiting them for slave labor. Isn't it funny that sometimes the things we want are the very things that enslave us in the end? The, th the things we want in life oftentimes are the very things that end up enslaving us, exploiting us, taxing us, not listening to our desires and our will. It's funny how that can happen. So Rehoboam sends the crowd away and says, you know what? I need to think about this for three days. And so Rehoboam goes to his father Solomon's elders and advisors and says, listen, the people want a light yoke. What should I do? And the elders look at him and they say, you should probably lighten the yoke or you're going to risk civil war. You, you need to do what the people are saying 
and listen to the first time when a casino vote comes up, when they say no to a casino, and listen to them. Right, Alan? Or the people will revolt. And we're going to have to vote no again. And they say, yeah, you should lighten the yoke. And Rehoboam's like, cool, I really appreciate your wisdom there, but I'm going to go catch the opinion of my boys with a Z at the end. And so he goes to their dorm room, and they're playing Call of Duty on the Xbox. And he says, hey, bros, should I lighten the yoke of these people? Of my, you know, the people of my father? My father's elder said I should, but what do you guys think? And they're like, no, dog, double down on your power. Don't listen to them. Double down. Our fingers are larger than their waistband. These are the kinds of people, when you're in your mom's minivan at a stoplight, they pull up next to you and want to drag race you. <laughs> these, are the, <laughs> these, are, <laughs> these are the kind of people that... Um, make inappropriate comments, exploitive comments about women in the locker room and chalk it up as just locker room talk. This is toxic masculinity. And you know, toxic masculinity occurs when men aren't formed by diverse voices. When men systematically see women and other people as objects for their own disposal. Of course they want to double down. It doesn't impact them. They are the ones in this story with the privilege. They ironically lack the wisdom to include the diverse voices of the people, to hear what the people are saying, the experiences of harm. Do you see what happens when we don't listen? <laughs> Do you see what happens when men, young men, aren't formed by diverse voices, when young men intentionally push aside women and don't believe them, it can lead to, to harm. You see, because I think in the end of the day, and what this scripture reveals to us, is that we often don't see things as they are. We actually see things as we are. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And so when it comes to decisions, when it comes to policy making, when it comes to anything in our life that is important, it's really important to remember that we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. In other words, we reflect how we're formed. Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? Something supernatural happens when we intentionally create space to hear voices. Our capacity for empathy and vulnerability increases. We start to realize that our options have really big implications for our life and the life of those around us. This is, this is so important. I wish every policymaker could hear this. Like You have to be aware of the voices around you because your decisions carry big, big weight. 
Wisdom is communal. And while we think that wisdom looks like us and talks like us when we're playing Xbox and broing down, it doesn't. Rarely is that the case. And I think a lot of pastors, including myself, might benefit if we were to surround ourselves with diverse voices. People that they give freedom to speak into their lives. But success and power, it's an intoxicating thing. It can often cloud the judgment and lead us into the temptation of being known and seen because serving and leading isn't quite as exciting as power. I used to think that good pastoral leadership was talking and being eloquent. But over the years, I've started to realize, in particular during COVID, I've learned that good pastoral leadership is listening. Rehoboam would benefit by seeing that leadership requires listening. Rehoboam would have benefited by listening to the will of the people and by spending time with them in their plight. To hear stories how the men were forced into military service and the effects that that had on their family. To hear stories about how being enslaved to work the fields of the government's uh, own security is expletive. Maybe then Rehoboam would have listened to the wise voices around him. Maybe then he would have seen himself the way God intended as a servant of the people. My friend Jamel Jones once said, if any of us want to grow in our ability to positively influence others, then we need to develop skills and habits of service to those we are attempting to lead. So here's the antidote for our bad decision making. Listen for the places that God is speaking beyond ourselves. Listen. Be in tune to what God is inviting you to do, to say, to be. Hear the voices of the people that surround you. Take note of the cultural climate. Be aware of what's happening. Don't just disregard voices in your life, but listen. Because often it's from people on the margins that are the prophets in our community. And if we're not in tune with those voices on the margins, we're going to miss out on an incredible opportunity to lead people toward God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, this is the message translation. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. This is written by Solomon, coincidentally. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. When it comes to big decisions, listening beyond ourselves leads us to godly living. Living. Listening for the voice of God is one of the ways that we can ensure that our big decisions have positive, lasting impacts on those around us. And this takes a certain degree of humility. It requires a bit of discernment on your behalf. So I want to give you three ways that you can discern when it comes time to make big decisions. First, reflect. I think it requires seeing clearly who you are. In your own tendencies. 
Self-awareness goes a long way in selecting the voices you listen to. Because it's when you see yourself clearly that you can actually begin to see other people clearly. When you're aware of your own sin, your own shortcomings, the way that you typically process, you're able to see how other people process. And you're able to articulate their blinders. You'll be able to seek the wisdom of people with expertise or different experiences so that you can be more informed about your big decisions. Number two, use reason. When we did our On the Quad series, you learned that reason rejects power, knee-jerk reactions, testing, tempting, and going after the first shiny thing. Instead, it opts for discovery, wonder, Love, charity, grace, and mercy, it cuts through the noise to look for things that are true. In other words, reason is consideration of the past, the present, and the future. Number three, and finally, listen for God. Listen for God. When it comes to listening, you have to be able to identify where God is speaking and leading. Just a few chapters later in 1 Kings 19, Elijah didn't find God in the wind. Elijah didn't find God in the earthquakes and the fire. Where did God, Elijah hear God? In the silence. Do you actively seek God's wisdom in your scripture reading? In your prayer life? In your silence? Do you go to the proverbial mountain looking for some sort of help in your discernment? Are you looking in the wrong places? Are you expecting God to speak to you through loud, boisterous voices? Or are you looking for God in the silence, the whispers? God is speaking. God is present. And you don't have to look very far find the voice of wisdom and the God of diversity. You don't have to look very far to find the wisdom of the people. God is speaking to you. Are you listening? In the name of the three in one. Amen. <laughs>